From Liangjiahe, a village on the barren lowest plateau in northwest China, to Zhongnanhai, the center of China's top leadership in Beijing. Xi Jinping has served in various posts at different levels of the government across China, starting in his early years as a junior village official to governing as China's top leader. What's he like as an individual and as a leader? How have his work experiences from earlier decades been influencing his leadership as the national leader? What are some of the core principles that have guided his decisions and actions? I consider myself a relatively hard-working person. I know very well that people's biggest concerns are education, employment, income. We can't pursue development through destructive methods, depleting the legacies from our ancestors while exhausting the options for our future generations. The Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series shares the life and work experiences of Xi Jinping and explores the formation of his governing principles, philosophy, beliefs, among others. Getting to know Xi's thoughts on national governance and how his leadership took shape may help you better understand China's path, governance and principles. You can follow the Stories of Xi Jinping podcast series on all major podcast platforms. Keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing. I'm He Yang. Good as always to have you. We're entering peak season to visit amazing places such as Xinjiang. Its extraordinary scenery, historic relics, and culture have all attracted visitors, domestic and international. Our reporter Guo Yan just got back from Xinjiang, and we'll have a chat about her experience firsthand. And we're on a mission of starting your week with a motivational kick. Our motivational Monday offerings will get you ready to tackle the week. For today's program, I'm joined by Guo Yan in the studio. And Josh Cotterell on the line. First on today's show, Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, located in northwest China, is known for its breathtaking natural sceneries of desert, snow mountain, lake, forest, grassland, delicious food and fruit, unique culture and traditions. All in all, making it a great place to visit. Recently, the local tourism association appointed an internet celebrity to promote tourism of her hometown on social media. Many local governments in China have been striving to promote tourism and improve their local economy in the online sphere as well. Sometimes they hit the ball out at the park. Other times, it's kind of a hit and a miss. So, is the Xinjiang Tourism Department making a good decision this time with this internet celebrity? Guoyan, yeah, what do you think? Well,、uh, an internet celebrity in Xinjiang has recently been appointed by local tourism association to promote the tourism resources of her hometown online. And、uh, according to a report by Xinjiang Daily, an internet celebrity in Xinjiang who is nicknamed as Sen Lin Bei, translated as Forest North, who has 
two million fans on short video platform Douyin was officially appointed as the deputy secretary general of the Tourism Association of Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region on May the 15th this year. And the internet celebrity, whose real name is Li Qiao, is. In charge of the online promotion work of local tourism, I think、uh, promoting or leveraging the power and influence of online celebrities have become a common practice for local authorities to promote their culture and tourism. And the case of Sinling Bay is not. Just a singular one. I think a lot of、uh, places across the country have started to find the benefits and the advantage of using celebrities, online celebrities, to promote their culture and tourism.、Uh, mm-hmm. In this case. Li was born in 1990s in Hami. She got public attention because of her good appearance, as well as the misunderstanding of her as the secretary general of the association. And the vice chairperson and the secretary general of the association said the online misunderstanding by the netizens gave the association the inspiration. He hopes Li could promote the tourism in Xinjiang more effectively with new identity. Guyan, can you help us to clear the air a little bit? What's this understanding regarding the so-called appointment, or you know, this internet celebrity getting this new title, so to speak? The misunderstanding is that netizens believe she is a government official working at the local tourism sector, which is actually, not. Which is not. She was hired. Currently, she was hired by an association. That is dedicated to promoting local tourism and culture. So it's a public association. It's a public association. It's a public organization. It's not a government office. All right, Josh, you're from the UK, and、uh, you've shared on the show before that you are from a small town called Scarborough. But our listeners of the show know the place really well by now, thanks to Josh Cotterell. How do you feel if, let's say, you're employed? Well, not necessarily employed, or just you know, if you're an internet celebrity and you are encouraged, you know, to come and、uh, do all these videos as such and、uh, promote the the town that、uh, probably needs that attention. I think it makes a lot of sense, actually. I think all you have to do is look at the power of social media influence influences these days, especially in relation to tourism. Right? I think that actually social media in general has become Vital for tourism industries because of the amount of reach that a lot of these influences and pages have. They can really engage a much larger audience than any tourism bureau can. So, and some social media influences alone, as one person with their individual page, can actually have a greater reach than even the actual tourism bureau or whatever respective tourism. Body they have in that area of of the world or that country, so it makes a lot of sense to me. And also, I think a lot of them have an an increasing amount of credibility. Actually, I think this、mm. is something that's、mm. changing. Changing. I think influencers are often seen as quite trustworthy as well and authentic. A lot of them are more personable. Like、mm. you see their personality, and I think it allows、yes. the audience to trust them a lot more than, of course, if you see an advert on television. Telling you to go and visit a place, and it's being sponsored by that place. You're gonna maybe roll your eyes a bit and think, "Well, of course they're gonna make it look beautiful." But if you're 
engaged with the particular personality, an online media personality, I think that that's a big draw for a lot of people. Um, and so, yeah, I, I think it makes a lot of sense, actually. And um, I, we've discussed this before, as you mentioned. Mm -hmm. Yes. And we've seen um, this is one example of many that uh, with this particular internet celebrity, she has been promoting all kinds of homestay places yes. for some time. And then it gained her traffic too. Like her viewership doubled to like 2 million subscribers as such. So um, it's, it sounds like a win-win situation, you know, for the individual, you get the fame, you get the attention and possibly more sponsorships. And let's face it, that's just, you know, the world of internet celebrities. And on the other hand, you know, these places from local businesses to localities, and they would very much want that attention as well. Mm -hmm. And a lot of local governments very much would appreciate that. Um, and I think it's mutual beneficial. Right. Yeah, just like what you have said, it, um, the influencer herself can have more followers. At the same time, local economy will be boosted by this influence. For example, in this case, the young lady who is nicknamed Sen Linbei, she had over 1 million fans on Douyin in the beginning of this year, and the number rose to 2 million after she gained great popularity online. And the place which she is, uh, she has been promoted also gained fame. And sometimes a small town, a small village, maybe obscure previously, may become an overnight hit mm. after this promotion. I think the influence of online celebrities is very valuable in terms of boosting local economy and tourism. Right. Um, and Guoyan, when you visited Xinjiang, apparently mm -hmm. e-commerce is huge there. And there are plenty, like an army of uh, online influencers. And an army of them who have not made their fame yet and they're all looking to promote their local specialties, specialties mm -hmm. tourism resources as such and to garner people's attention to their hometowns as such. Um, what did you see over there? Actually, online shopping is very common here in Beijing and in some other big cities like Shanghai and Guangzhou, but e-commerce is quite an emerging business in Xinjiang, oh. especially in less developed areas in the vast uh, region. For example, I visited Hetian or Hotan. The district is in the south of Xinjiang. It is on the southern edge of Taklamakan Desert, which is a quite um, you know landlocked area. That place is rich in various natural resources energies, dry fruits. Oh. But the problem is that, like I described, it's a landlocked area. And a lot of products have to, you know, um, the traffic, the logics fees for transporting these products to some other places in China is quite comparatively expensive. Mm. And uh, the local government in Haotian started to leverage the power of online celebrities. They build an e-commerce center where a lot of young ladies and boys started to, you know, explore new career opportunities as online celebrities to help local farmers sell their products to other parts of China. Mm -hmm. And that really worked wonders. I visited an e-commerce center in Haotian, and uh, I find that e-commerce has become a driving force behind the growth of businesses in that place. 
And、um, thanks to the thriving online businesses, local products from rural areas in this place are now able to reach more consumers throughout China. And、uh, for example, I interviewed a girl.、Mm-hmm. Her name is、uh, Dil Humar Jilil. When I visited her,、um, what was that called? Live streaming room.、Mm-hmm. She was talking with her customers while doing a live stream to sell Houghton dates,、mm-hmm. a sweet dry fruit, and also a famous local specialty. The 27-year-old used to work as an office clerk at a local bank. But now she's exploring new career opportunities as a live streaming host. She told me that it's fun to be a host, and、uh, she had the opportunity to get connected with people from all over China. Right,、mm-hmm. and she thinks that becoming a live streaming host、mm-hmm. beats becoming. Beats being a bank clerk. <laughs> well, <laughs> because, it's two like two when, very different jobs. <laughs> yes, because when she was a bank clerk, she started to work,、um, for example,、uh, at nine o'clock in the morning until five o'clock in the evening, and she and her daily routine is all the same. But、yeah. being a live stream host is quite a different thing because she has to learn a lot of new skills. She has to learn skills to improve her communication and marketing、mm-hmm. and making plans in terms of how to sell products、yeah. well. And she told me that even though she is exhausted at the end of the day every time, she still feel a great sense of fulfillment. Right. Well,、yeah. that's really important for anybody to、mm-hmm. truly enjoy their job and have、mm-hmm. the passion to do what they do.、Um, Josh, what do you think about this young lady's choice, or more like you know when a lot of young people are finding employment in live streaming when otherwise、um, they'll probably need to try pretty hard in seeking job opportunities in other areas. I think that the job is pretty valid. I think it's as valid a career as any other. Career in the tourism industry, I guess, or anybody that's working in promoting the tourism industry, as as I mentioned before, I won't repeat myself, but I think that's just the way that it's going. I think that social media and influencers are becoming a, a really fundamental part of tourism promotion. And I guess if social media didn't exist, people with these kind of talents would probably be doing something similar, just through a slightly different medium. If it was maybe twenty, thirty years ago, whether they would be. Working in written journalism, or whether they'd be working directly with the tourism bureau, or being a, a TV presenter, or something like that, I, I'm not sure.、Mm. So I, I think that actually this career can be quite valid and evidently very profitable if you do it right. Yes, right? yeah, if you do it right, and if you manage to succeed the、mm-hmm. fierce competition, so to speak, because it's usually long hours, and just think、yeah. your urban. Customers most likely, if they're like office workers or whatnot, they have the time to start really looking at their smartphone live streams. Maybe after work, and that's probably when you should really gear towards、um, getting the customers, so to speak. I mean, just this, this is just one small thing that I can think of. You know, just this time difference in terms of、um, when to be full on your live stream job, so to speak. And then, so my point here is that there are. A lot more difficulties and challenges that one might think 
when you're just looking at your smartphone and look at oh those really famous live stream hosts and they're always so eloquent and then they talk so fast and、mm-hmm. sometimes they shout at you but they're supposed to get your attention. I mean whatever works, right? So what might seem quite easy but actually to do any job well, you know, there's always a lot of hard work that's behind exactly. And the girl who used to be a bank clerk, she told me that she has spent a lot of time learning new things online, or and she also takes some training courses from other provinces when、uh, during various business trips. And it's very very important to keep learning all the time. She told me. Yeah, and、mm. uh, one observation, according to some of the information that we've gathered,、mm-hmm. apparently for. The online streaming business or sector,、um, females might have a leg up in a way. Do you see that as a reality? Because I I know there are plenty of male、uh, live streaming hosts or influencers. I mean, as long as you're really、um, professional and also you know your specific area of interest really really well, and it could be anything. And I mean. Anybody could succeed, but some people say that the pretty ladies—they have a natural advantage. <laughs> What do you think? I think it might sound a little bit stereotypical to say that、uh-huh. girls, young women, are more good at live streaming.、Mm-hmm. They can do well, but in this case, I've in this center where I visited, I did meet a lot of beautiful, incredibly <laughs> beautiful Uyghur girls.、Uh-huh. They look like superstar, you know.、Yeah. They really good looking because their <laughs> facial traits. Are quite distinctive.、Uh-huh. I don't know whether it sounds stereotype to talk about, but but, but, yeah, but it's also to talk about the that truth. I think, yeah, yeah. But Uyghur girls, oh, they are really, really beautiful, and, and we're attracted、mm-hmm. to you know beauty in the world. It's the first time <laughs> I saw this young lady and couldn't move my eyes. Oh my, they are really gorgeous, you、yeah. know,、mm. and it's. A great job opportunity or employment opportunity. If let's say this is something that you can do close to home, you don't need to go to far away、mm-hmm. places, maybe Beijing or you know these big cities to sort of fight for a future. If you can find that opportunity nearby where、mm-hmm. you are, I think that's that's a pretty good plan by the sound of it. It's interesting that you mentioned that female influencers or. Uh, females working in this sort of industry might be quite popular or more popular, because、um, a lot of the evidence that I found suggests that this is not the case in the Western world.、Um, now, and also, you use this term live streaming, and most of the time, when we think of live streaming, we think of a specific application called Twitch, and、mm-hmm. Twitch is the biggest live streaming app in, in the West. And actually,、um, there is、uh, I found. A report by Streamlabs and Streamhatchet、um, for the third quarter of 2021, and they found that female streamers only represented just over 20% of all active streamers on Twitch.、Um, and but then I did a deeper dive and I went specifically into tourism. And there,、um, actually, it found that gender disparity is is less pronounced, and it, it's there are more females in this、uh, category specifically, especially on Instagram. I mean, it's about sixty percent to forty percent, so、mm. there is a difference here, actually. But it's very difficult to conclude exactly why this is. And、um, you, you briefly alluded to the idea of physical attractiveness, I think, 
And um, I think although this is quite difficult to identify very clearly and get quantitative data on this, I think that I, I think that it is quite an important factor, actually. I encountered a guy at the center who is in charge of this e-commerce business center. He visited a lot of villages and he visited a lot of local farmers' houses over the past three years. And uh, he encourages local farmers to use e-commerce platforms such as Taobao and JD.com to help these local farmers get familiar with the online shopping system. And then they can do some start some small businesses in their neighborhood. And also, they don't have to go out to big cities to work like migrant workers. They can start their own businesses at home. Mm. And this mm-hmm. is all thanks to the internet and having yeah. the internet as an important part of the infrastructure for y- yes. these kind of businesses and opportunities to present themselves. Yeah, the center has trained a lot of local farmers oh. to use internet. Um, they regularly visit different villages to uncover some new local products in the neighborhood and find villagers who are interested in e-commerce. And then they will uh, select some villagers who are very smart or very good at internet and uh, help them learn how to make transactions and promote their products on social media and various e-commerce platforms. They trained 130 local residents to become the heads of e-commerce stations in their villages. And uh, before our interview, he just uh, came back from, uh, you know, uh, another small county mm-hmm. uh, near Hotian, and uh, he spoke with a villager who's in charge of an e-commerce station. The villager earned 240,000 yuan on WeChat last year, which is a huge amount of money compared with the average salary uh, in that village. Right, so mm-hmm. when you talk about you know the usual livelihood options for the local residents there, mm-hmm. it's mainly farming, right? Yes. Yeah. So, oh, this is great then. On top of farming or instead of farming, then now there's this completely different realm. Like a part-time job. <laughs> <laughs> Which could, if you do mm-hmm. it so well, it could be your and it also helps. Job. It also helps promote the sales of their agricultural products because their agricultural products are most familiarized by locals. But now they have the opportunity to get to, known by, get to be known by people from other parts of China. Yeah, I I think it's a good thing. I think like any technology, there's definitely the downsides. And anybody who's heard me talk about this before knows that I'm very skeptical as to the um, benefits and potential um, cataclysmic effects of things like social media and AI. But I think generally, social media should be looked at as a tool. And it's a communication tool. And many of these farmers living in rural areas, one of the reasons that a lot of these areas all over the world are less affluent is because they lack communication and that can be something as simple as a road right or proper roads and train stations and airports things like this social media has suddenly helped a lot with this kind of thing and although it doesn't physically transport them it doesn't allow them to teleport it does allow them to advertise it does allow them to engage with a bigger following it allows them to market Mm -hmm. their goods and I think that's a really good thing. Yeah, it is a very good thing. And we've talked about this so many years by now um, about like farmers or, you know, personnels otherwise would not get the limelight, but they managed to find their target 
consumers via internet. And now with this reporting trip and everything, um, do you see any like intricacies or, you know, consequences that come from that? Because from all kinds of reports and so in recent years, yes, we've seen, oh, it's a success story. Oh, great. This is a way to find livelihood, to boost sales. And then it kind of just stops there. So I'm just a little curious if you've seen anything like interesting to share with us on top of that. I do have some concrete proof to show that e-commerce can make a difference to the livelihoods of local farmers. For example, according to data released by this center I visited, online transactions in Houghton District have reached a record high of 2.2 billion yuan or over 300 million US dollars, up 24% over a year ago. Just because the uh, the e-commerce sector was booming in this area. And uh, the thriving online businesses have helped local farmers in the landlocked areas to connect with a wider market across China. I think that's why I think e-commerce do make a difference here. Yes, e-commerce is definitely a big thing, not only in the big cities in China, as you can see now, also in Xinjiang and on Aside from that, the local farmers are also enjoying this new growth or this new opportunity, so to speak, that high tech is being employed in their farms. And how is that looking up? Okay, Xinjiang produced more than 600,000 tons of mutton in 2022, ranking second among all provinces and regions in China. Agricultural tech firms and farms with advanced breeding techniques play an important role behind this achievement. And I visited a modern farm in Xinjiang, which is equipped with some high-tech machines and equipments to help local farmers to improve the the quality of the lamb. And this farm has a special advanced embryo technology. And this with this technology, um, the red sheep, which is a local sheep in Pishan County, a small county in Hetian district, the birth rate of the red sheep was only 1.3 lambs per year. But with this advanced embryo technology, they are able to enhance their breeding capabilities for multiple births. Mm. Following rigorous testing and selection, this farm has successfully developed a breed with the ability to give birth to multiple lambs over the past three years. Oh, it's so interesting and exciting to see all these development in uh, smart agriculture and not only improving the yield or the uh, give the birth rate a boost of certain animal uh-huh. husbandry sectors as such. And uh, it's great to hear these stories that you've witnessed firsthand, Guoyan. And uh, yeah, that's it's really interesting. Thanks for that. You're listening to Roundtable. We'll be back with a discussion about should college campuses open up their gates to the public? Stay tuned. D-Dine, a podcast of CGTN Radio. We go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. 
You're listening to Roundtable with myself, Hua Young. I'm joined by Guo Yan in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, since the pandemic, college campuses have been closed to the public. Should school gates be open again for public visitors? Students and faculty seem a little bit wary about it. What is their concern? And our special segment, Motivational Monday, coming your way, will give you that adrenaline shot for the start of the week. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcast. And do you have a question for Roundtable's Heart to Heart segment? Share with us, and it could be answered on the show. Please send us a voice memo or email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Now. Now on Roundtable, as we continue today's discussion, unlike many universities in Europe and the U.S. that tend to open up their campus to the public, some Chinese universities are fenced off, and some are closed off from visitors off campus. During the pandemic, many colleges conducted stricter campus entry policies to protect the health of students and faculty. Now they face the question: Should campuses be Open to the public, and this is not the first time we've heard this、um, question.、Mm-hmm. And why do you think it keeps on coming up in public discourse in China? And、um, and also, well, this time what's special possibly is that the pandemic is increasingly behind us.、Um, so therefore,、um, should things go back to normal, or maybe should some of these campuses that previously that's been closed? Should just be more open now. Earlier this month, the topic "Should Universities Keep Campus Open to the Public" sparked discussions on China's social media platform Weibo. The debate was partly triggered as a viral video, which shows arguments between a father who planned to take his kid to a tour around the campus of Shenzhen University and a security guard who stopped them from entering due to school policies. And here is the problem for some. Travelers like this father and his son. This beautiful campus is a tourist attraction, but for the school or for the students on campus, that might be something annoying. So this son is not a student of that school. No. Okay. They're travelers. Right. Josh, does it bug you at all when you think about? Campuses can be tourist attractions, and then when we say open up to the public, we pretty much mean anybody could come in, right? And、uh, it could be noisy tourists or you know group of tourists as such, and then the students and faculty might not be so happy about that.、Uh, it doesn't annoy me at all when university campuses are open. I think that they should be open. Generally, I mean, of course, there has to be some level of security, and the safety of the students is really important. But I think on most campuses, student accommodation and classrooms are often separated, or the public can't get into those buildings. But I think parts of university campuses, I think it's really important that they're open. Actually, yeah, and when you look at in. Many universities, well, the more familiar ones we know are probably those in the UK and the US. For example, Oxbridge or you know Harvard. Well, especially like Oxford and Cambridge, they're individ, they're university towns, and then there are no real、yeah. school gates, right? Maybe each college in Oxford, for example, might have some school 
gates as such but um mm. in general it's like uh if you purchase a train ticket arrive at oxford the stop you get out and then you're at o oxford university and you're free to go to all these places and nobody seems to have an issue with that um has it always been like this at least if you're talking about oxbridge i think that they have sort of always been like this actually universities originally the original purpose of universities in like the middle ages and stuff they were founded as religious institutions right so um obviously that comes with things like training clergies and educating scholars and so um in theology and things like this so um in that respect they haven't always been open to the public and they've always been very elitist institutions especially the top ones mm -hmm. in the united kingdom anyway and also in the us i think in most countries actually universities are still quite elitist and so one might argue that they're not really open to the public because in order to live in that area and travel to that area you have to have a certain amount of wealth but yes in essence they have always been open to visit um and uh, I, I don't think that's changed that much at least in uh, the us and uk and most of europe yes and also um there are some universities that don't have the luxury of having a campus for example london school of economics yeah. basically is blended into the city of London. The um, You've got like bankers, accountants, and, you know, people in fancy suits walking around all the time. And then, you know, that has nothing to do with the school, the university. But anyhow, that's just, you know, we didn't have, we, we still don't have a campus like that. So I think it it's a great opportunity for people to, you know, enjoy the atmosphere, the academic atmosphere of this there, campus. There's no academic atmosphere. There's limited sense of academic atmosphere for um, a university that doesn't have mm -hmm. a campus such as, uh, such as actually a, a lot of uh, universities in London. They don't have like campuses. But the open campus can, you know, offer some free resources, academic resources to the public. Well, that's one of the pros. That's one of the um, arguments for opening up these university campuses in China. Because, right? Mm -hmm. um, but but now we're still only at the step of can we allow people in? Next time, maybe we can talk about can we let people into the classrooms? What, what do you think? I think to let the travelers into classrooms will disrupt actually the rules of these classrooms. It, it, you know, how, how can teachers you know, regulate or to give lectures as usual when a lot of travelers just flood in the classroom? And that's the kind of thing that deters um, people from or the universities to agree to opening up policies uh, in general, don't you think? Isn't I think that schools can open the campus to the public, not the classrooms. Right, but even opening the campus, so just, you know, to um, walk around, you know, this is something still being debated here. And, mm -hmm. okay, so l let me try to present what the uh, school and faculty or the students might see as a worry. That is, um, yeah, we just talked about internet celebrities, and then once you open up, well, these are beautiful places, we all know that. And um, influencers coming in, each with this um, camera crew with them, and um, creating a lot of commotion, possibly um, showing you a tour in Tsinghua University, or any university um, that, that um, 
uh, of subject. And what else? Oh, another concern is safety. Um, apparently, uh, there have been reports of lost bikes, <laughs> and faculty might really rely on that bike to get from A to B in in campus. And when you've got like outsiders, and then it's an uncontrollable factor, so to speak. And what else? And um, also just having you know strangers uh, in groups in, into the campus, and that just adds to. The difficulty of managing the whole place and disturbing the serenity of campus, and this is supposed to be a place where people can learn and enjoy the atmosphere, so to speak. So, yeah, what do you think, Josh? D- does it hold water? I think that your worries are valid, and of course, safety and security is a valid thing. But I must disagree strongly with this idea of a. An environment that has serenity being the best kind of environment for learning and academia. Universities, in my opinion, are supposed to be places that aren't particularly safe, and I mean that in terms of having、uh, being challenged with your ideas. I mean academically.、Um, of course, I think that physical safety is is very important,、um, but I think that allowing public engagement and having you know a university that's open to the public. Um, having things like conferences, cultural events where anybody can attend if they register, is is really important. And I actually have some personal experience with this because I've been lucky enough to go to several universities、um, and work in some as well. And I've got to say that those universities that I studied at that were more open, that were one of them was in the middle of London as well, and it didn't really have a campus, but it was still very open,、mm-hmm. and there were so many public events. And some of the events I didn't agree with, but still I learned more at that university. I was way more engaged, and the students were so much more passionate about their subjects there. So I think that universities aren't always supposed to be peaceful, to be honest. And I think that closing them off and having really tight security measures. Doesn't often encourage、um, a stimulating academic environment. Can we make a compromise here? I think schools and university、sure. campus can allow travelers to walk into, but with some limitation.、Mm-hmm. I mean, we can just limit the number of visitors per day. Th- that would avoid a lot of disruptions into、uh, the classes of students, but also can open the campus to the public. Because I think university, many facilities in universities in China are sponsored by public finances. They should be considered institutions featuring public service and should be open to the public. Yes, and actually, open or close, this is some. A、uh, discussion that has been going on for years, and since 1978, the two most famous Chinese universities. Uh, Peking University and Tsinghua University were the two earliest universities that conducted visiting policies for outsiders, and basically, you need to make an application. And yes, it's it's、uh-huh. not like so difficult, but you need to go through that process, and so you can swipe a card to get in,、mm-hmm. and then they control the numbers and who can come in, that kind of thing. I visited Peking University last month、uh-huh. because I have a friend who is a member of the faculty in Peking University, and. Uh, I told him my ID number and phone number in advance, and then I just、uh, you know, scan this card before the entrance. 
Um, I think it's um, this policy is really reasonable. On one hand, it allows visitors to come into the campus. On the other hand, it limits the number of visitors. Right. I wonder if this is more of a policy that's only、um, occurred after the pandemic. Because、um, when、mm-hmm. you think about it, you're just visiting a college campus, and you need to give up your ID number for that.、Um, that's kind of sensitive information, private information, in my opinion. But uh, yeah, um, I, I know for a fact that some universities have still carried out these、uh, have still carried on these rather strict、um, mm-hmm. entry policies. By now, but there's so much talk about should we resume things to before the pandemic now, and is it the right time, or how should that be done? And、um, I think ultimately the the discussion stems from the idea: should these universities be considered as a public place, or? What they have to offer a public good, or should it be reserved for a small number of people? Admittedly, you know they fought their way to get there, and、um, but for you know these.、Uh, so is is there a valid reason for these walls to go up, or maybe the other way around? So what do you see as the benefits and the possible downsides if we open up these universities now? I think there are some benefits, just like what I've said. Some facilities of the universities are sponsored by public finances, and universities could increase community interaction by opening up to the public. They can also create different programs. For example, professors can give seminars to adults in the community, or hosting regular scheduled weekend events where students can mentor, tutor. Uh, do arts and crafts or play games with local children. Larger campus affairs such as guest speakers, movie screenings, shows, or conferences should be more widely promoted and open to the public. Yeah, considering most Chinese universities are public universities funded、mm-hmm. by the government via our taxpayers' money, and therefore should it give back to society in some. Way and I think the ov- the answer is quite obvious there. Josh, what do you think? Yeah, I, was, I also think the answer is very obvious. I guess from a business perspective as well, I don't really understand this. I mean, I understand it from a security perspective,、um, but that's about it, to be honest. And so I imagine that that's probably the biggest factor here because. Also, in terms of generating revenue, it makes sense for universities to be more open because they can charge fees for courses.、Um, actually, most universities have open courses where you just pay the course fee and you can attend that course. Every university I've ever been to has had this available, and you don't have to have passed any exams to get in or anything like this.、Um, there's also conferences. Of course, universities are big spaces for a lot of towns and cities. The university is maybe the biggest and best place to hold big conferences. I know in the UK when I went to a university in the far northwest of London, I, I studied part of my under, undergraduate up there, and in that town called Uxbridge, there wasn't really a conference centre. So whenever there was a big member of parliament or something came to town, they would use that place, right? And、um, this is important, I think, for the town's engagement and 
also for generating revenue for the town as well. Of course, if you have anything in a town that draws people in, it's going to draw in tourism. If you've got a university that allows visitors, those people going to visit the university are going to spend money outside of the university as well. It's a big win all round financially. So this also confuses me a little bit and makes me think that the biggest reason is probably um, security and safety. Well, actually, there is that business side of things of having these open courses, and Chinese universities do the same. But you have to apply, you have to pay fees, and therefore you would be considered as not an off-campus visitor. Then you would have received that special pass、right. or the the card to get into campus. Well, I, I wonder what what your observation is on this. Guoyan, that is,、um, do we have so many university towns in China? To me, what comes to mind usually is that the university has a campus and it's in a city or、mm-hmm. nearby a city, and therefore,、um, it's not like a city is originated. Or the economy is built around that university. I wonder if there is slightly a, a difference there from what you know Josh just introduced to us. Actually, I traveled to a lot of places in China, but I never entered into a place that is a university town. We yeah, we,、right. we really have that <laughs> kind of culture. I you do you do remind me of something、um, that. I, is it possible for China to grow some university towns? Yes, and and that is Because, actually,、uh, I, I'm there. There's gonna. I know there will be mixed reviews on we, that. We have some district in Beijing, such as Haidian District. Yeah, I was going to say, isn't that like isn't Udaoko basically a university town? Like no, that's not. It's just a cluster, a cluster it, of universities,、yeah. but it's not a,、yeah. a university town. When, when we talk about university towns, I mean this place has to be like really、Harvard. open, like、yeah. Harvard, where you know the neighborhood and the university are merged together. Yeah, you know what? If you see it differently, please write to us, email us to ezfmroundtable@foxmail.com. And the reason why I say that this is most possibly going to be a really mixed bag of reaction from people if we say let's just build a university town somewhere. It's a good idea, I think, because faculty they're going to think about well, usually, well, at least in China, they want to be close to where the economy is quite advanced, or it's easier to. Um, employ and attract top talent, academic talent, and what they want to go to an obscure little town that you have to sort of build everything up from scratch. It's going to take some persuasion, but let's just put it that way. And also, you know, the faculty is probably going to think about, well, what about their family and then future job opportunity, etc. I mean, there's a lot to consider, and that's just the faculty. And then also, do the students want to go to? If we're talking about building a university town from scratch in China right now, they're gonna think about their,、um, you know, employment after graduation as such, and、um, yeah. So it, it and and also considering today's China, do local governments want to pour so much investment into、uh, such a building craze at this? Time,、um, there's just a lot to consider. Yes, but I think university towns will help local economy to grow 
because when there is a university town, travelers were more likely to visit that place. But that's got to be a good, an attractive place for people to want to go. And if it's just some walls, some buildings, how how do you attract people to want to go to a new university as well in an era when we see so many universities are thinking about closing doors or We're talking about university to... towns, not university with walls. Yeah, but your university town mm-hmm. needs a university to be a university town, right? If it's mm-hmm. like got zero nothing there and you're building up from scratch, maybe I'm just pushing it too far. <laughs> <laughs> maybe you yeah. can find some small towns that are rich in culture. And rich in like beautiful sceneries, and then we just put and local government are willing to put some money and investment into drawing more young talents into that town, and then gradually that small town may grow into a university town. Yeah, I hope that it's happens. An academic elements. <laughs> okay, coming up next, motivational Monday. Motivational Monday. There's no way around a Monday, only through it. And Guoyan, what do you have for us to inspire and motivate everybody? My motivation words are: a good laugh heals a lot of hurts. Let's try to be cheerful even in adversity. I know it's hard to find the motivation to focus on the positive side of things. That's why we should always keep. Smile on our face and keep positive、uh, all day round. To you know, to persuade ourselves that we can handle whatever this week ahead is gonna throw at us.、Mm, very、mm. nice. Try to do that. And Josh, what do you have for us? Well, I've got quite a different one, but it's very motivational.、Uh, I have a quote from Mr. Tony Hawk. Do you know who that is? Enlighten us, please. Tony Hawk is the most famous skateboarder in the world,、um, and、mm-hmm. he、uh, he has a quote. He says, "I won't quit until I'm a failure," and I like、ah. that one. And、um, I, I, and recently, I've actually been getting back into skateboarding, and I posted a video of myself doing a kickflip. If anyone knows what that is, it's basically where you spin the board over in one rotation、uh-huh. in my flip flops、um, on Instagram, and I tagged Tony Hawk, and he saw my story. So. That was、um, quite inspiring for me, and so I, I thought, you know, because skateboarding, I always sort of think about it as something I did when I was a teenager, and maybe I'm a bit too old to do it now. Never too you know, old. I,、uh, yeah, but it's just <laughs> not true. That's just rubbish. You know, it, I'm not、mm. too old for it all, and no one is. And I really enjoy it, and it's really good for your mental health. Actually, it requires so much patience to sort of work on a trick, and I think that also. Ends up boosting a lot of self confidence as well. So, I feel really motivated to get、um, to get better at skateboarding, and I'm actually taking my skateboard with me everywhere now. And I I have it near, here now with me. It's a it's a lovely yellow color. Oh,、um, great! Sure、it's got some Chinese、yeah. characters on it. Yeah, and it's got some donut wheels. You see them? Yeah. Is that more anyway, for practicality or just show off? Like fashion yeah, just, show. I'm、off. just, I'm just showing off.、It's、oh, just nice. That's so, the way we should do it. You know. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, that's that's my motivational、um, story for this. That's、week. great. Just on a side note,、hmm. are you still preparing for that marathon? Yes. Oh, okay. So for the marathon, both、yes. things happening at the、harder. same time. That's harder than skateboarding, <laughs> actually. Okay.、Um, 
it's requiring that's requir- requiring so much discipline to keep <laughs> running i've just got to yeah keep running um, okay. all the time yeah yeah i mean if that happens you know you've got great content for motivational monday and happy plays like depends Hopefully. on how you Hopefully. spin it all right okay <laughs> yeah. you're, you're you've already sort of made the announcement so our listeners are waiting Hopefully you know? not traumatic to <laughs> hope it's not too much pressure what I'm going to share with you this Monday is kind of connected to what Josh just said in a way. So I found this story that I think is very inspiring. This is about a Japanese surfer who's 89 years old and he still plans to catch waves at 100 years old. So uh, Seichi Sano has just been honored by Guinness World Records as the oldest male to surf. And... He's only recently uh, taken up the sport and he was inspired by one of his acquaintances. And um, that person apparently is super tanned and uh, quite old. And he is super fit and basically shared with uh, Mr. Sano that, um, you know, you're never too old to surf. I got this fit by surfing. So this inspired him. And um, he said... Here's a quote that I find to be really kind of cute. I can only say that I just enjoy myself and do what I want without stressing out. And so if you try to be too good at it or think that you have to do it this way or that way, then I think you lose the fun. So to me, I like to try out new skills. Sometimes I get discouraged because I'm not very good at them. And even when I'm trying rather hard with this something new so it's nice to see people who are older starting new things sticking with it and getting good at it or just being average and enjoying it just embracing the fact that you don't have to be the best at it sometimes just the doing of the thing is enough and i really like that i enjoy this other little quote that uh, mr sano shared that is i enjoy being swept up in the wave And I'm not a good surfer, so I call myself a small wave surfer out of respect for those who surf really well. And I just find that story to be motivational and endearing. And yeah, the three of us, we all took a different direction of a stab at Motivational Monday. And on the way out, I'd like to share a song with you. John Legend's Conversations in the Dark. It's a song to me reminds us of the beauty of authenticity and self-love. I hope you enjoy the music. And thank you so much, Guo Yen and Josh Cotterell, for joining the discussion. I'm He Young. Have a beautiful day. We'll see you next time. Talk, let's have conversations in the dark. World is sleeping, I'm awake with you.